With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, Shelby, we're now here in the regular season, and I know you're all smiles. Maybe in the past you might have dreaded going to the dentist, and if I'm being honest, the dentist isn't really my favorite place. It's definitely my wife's least favorite place. But you got to take care of your teeth, right? Man, to be honest, that's why I go to Aspire Dental. You know, they really go over and above to create just a cool environment that you really wouldn't expect at the dentist. And what's really cool is, you know, dentists, they train like I do, relentlessly to achieve maximum results, which is why I trust them with my dental care. Aspire Dental has some of the best general surgical and cosmetic dentists in the country, and they're right here in Colorado. And what's even better, Aspire Dental donates 100% of their proceeds from whitening treatments to charity, funding local Colorado charities and mission trips around the world. Yeah, man, Aspire's program is really legit. I had my teeth whitened at Aspire Dental, and it feels great knowing that my treatment helped people in need. And my smile looks great. Plus, you know, the Aspire team really listens to you and makes sure you're really comfortable the whole time you're there. They provide headphones, you know, a blanket if you're cold. You guys should really check them out. So if you got to go to the dentist, it should be at a place that treats you like a VIP. I know you like that VIP treatment, Shelby. They've got really talented dentists. That's Aspire Dental. Aspire with an E, where excellence in dentistry meets inspired hospitality. Again, Aspire with an E, AspireDental.com. <laughs> fake for Cousins in the pocket he's hit and sacked and the ball is free it bounces around inside the 15 and Denver's got it Shelby Harris got the football Harris came from the blind side and hit Kirk Cousins right in the back this is shell shocked quick pass to the middle intercepted in the end zone intercepted by Shelby Harris the defensive lineman with the play of the game the Shelby Harris podcast four-man pressure car looks for the end zone throws the ball that is deflected and two-point conversion is nullified guess who Shelby Harris tenth pass deflection of the season Broncos defensive end Shelby Harris with Brandon Kristall Shelby it's game week that's all I really need to say, right? The games count for real, and that makes everything a little bit better in your life, I have to think. Man, hey, this is what this shit is for. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is what you do, all the camp stuff, all, you know, everything that we've been doing, this is what it's for. And we finally get to go out there and, and play real games that actually matter. So, you know, I'm excited. <laughs> I cannot wait. So let's take the specific game planning out because obviously you don't want Joe Judge to listen to this podcast and and know exactly the way you're attacking them but Joe Judge I'm blitzing every play (laughs) (laughs) I'm blitzing Kolar is going to be pissed when he hears this and so's Vic and so's Ed Donatel that you gave away the game plan which is my Madden game plan blitz every play or certainly that didn't work the time you and I played Madden you beat me by 70 Uh, but Vic did say, because I asked him what last week was like without having that game, and he goes, we've always used this week to get ready. Do you feel like every year going into week one, regardless of the coach, and maybe those years where you were fighting and scratching and clawing for a spot is a little different, but that you're really prepared 
for week one because you've had even more time than you're going to have for really any other opponent to, to get ready? You know, sometimes I think you're overly prepared. You see too much stuff because sometimes week one, you know, preparation, it starts in sometimes OTAs. You might have, a, you know, the last week of camp. You might start having, you know, you start having scout team. You start having more preparation. And so it's, it's a lot more than the normal week. And then you just start going down the rabbit hole where you just start finding these one-off plays that you're looking at. And you, you haven't seen them in, you know, you know two, two years. But it's like, hey, why not? <laughs> we got time. Might as well check it out. Or, oh, hey, remember this play from when Jason Garrett <laughs> was with the Cowboys? Maybe we should play, pay attention to that. But, you know, it's – I always just say, you know, it's you're overly prepared, but then there's no excuse. <laughs> like, there's really no excuse. You've seen everything. You've ran through everything. You've played through everything. And so when it comes to that first week, you obviously you might be a little sloppy because, you know, a lot of people don't play that often, in, you know, in the preseason. But mentally, you should be there. Well, and I have to think that Vic and, and Pat Shermer, probably a lot last week and even some this week, have g- gotten together and Pat went through all the personnel that he's familiar with. You had a guy like Kyle Rudolph, who when Pat took the job here, I ran into him at the Super Bowl and actually was talking to his wife while while uh, Kyle was doing an interview with Doug Gottlieb. And then when he came off, but they could not stop raving about Pat Shermer. So Pat knows about Kyle Rudolph. He was obviously his tight ends coach and. And so you got to think that Pat Shermer's got some pretty good institutional knowledge of their personnel, at least their younger personnel and guys have been there, you know, for the three years or or so that, you know, since Pat was there, obviously the second year here, that's got to help, right? A little, you know, well, yeah, it it, it should help a little bit, but then also it's a whole different regime in there. And like, you could have the personnel you want to, but when it comes down to, you know, philosophy and what plays are going to be run, that's a whole different, you know, coach. There's a whole different coaches. And, yeah, you have Rudolph from when he was in Minnesota with Shermer. But in New York, they do a whole different thing. You know, New York's scheme is very interesting. I I actually like it. I might try to run it on uh, Madden every once in a while. It's just you see a lot of pullers, you know, and, and it really it tries to put the ball in playmakers' hands. And I feel like it's it's interesting, but it's just it's something that, you don't see that often when it comes to like the run scheme, but then I, that's why it's kind of hard to be like, oh yeah, Pat Sherman's going to know, you know, what's going on when he doesn't even run that stuff. Well, and I'm not sure because it seems like it changes every day, but I did notice where they're trading for centers, trading for guards, and trying to just piecemeal the old line together, and and they're banged up in some spots. Kenny Galladay has been dealing with a bunch of stuff, so it feels like on the surface, knock on wood, and we certainly got to do that you guys are, are healthier as we stand here and talk today, Wednesday night heading into Thursday. But I also remember last year when Von Miller goes down in practice. So you never want to count your proverbial chickens. Nonetheless, has that changed the preparation, not knowing exactly what personnel you might see up front because they're shuffling in new pieces? You know, for me, it's, it's, it's been really kind of frustrating because you're, you're trying to watch film on O-linemen. And then, like, if you see, see the depth chart – uh, Hernandez, their left guard from last year, is their right guard now. And then, you know, the le- their left guard now, Lemieux, was, he was out during preseason. And then they, they claimed Bredenson, who's from Wisconsin, I might add, but he went to Michigan. Uh, you know, they, 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 claimed, they claimed him. And then, you know, they, they just have 
a bunch of players that they brought in that you don't necessarily know what they're going to do. And so it makes it worse because you got to prepare for everyone. And then Daniel Jones is kind of at a, I don't say crossroads, but I, I think that's maybe the best way to describe where he's at currently. It doesn't mean it's the end of the road. He and Drew Locke came in together. He's obviously played a lot more football because he just started a lot more as a rookie and, and then all last year. What do you see from Daniel Jones on tape that scares you where you're like, man, when this kid's dialed in, he's going to be a, a headache? It's really not what I see on tape. It's what I expect to, to happen to him for, from year, you know, year one in this offense to year two in this offense. And, and I think that's the biggest thing is I always, I always say this when it comes to quarterbacks. I never feel like they're going to have their best year the first year under a new offensive coordinator. It's usually year two, year three where the jump usually happens. And so I'm expecting to see a, a, a very improved Daniel Jones, a way more comfortable Daniel Jones. You know, and that's the thing is that he can make plays with his feet. He can make plays with his, his arm. And he's smart. And, you know, he's a Duke kid, you know, even though Duke basketball, boo. Boo. You know, but. <laughs> you, there's not a lot of dummies walking but, around Duke. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? So I just, you know, it's just like I look at it the same way I looked at, you know, when I came in the Vicks defense versus my first year, my second year, and third year. You know what I mean? Just playing under Vicks defense. Every year there's a new part of it that you get to kind of just tap into because of the familiarity to it, and it makes you better. And so I expect the same for Daniel Jones. And then with Saquon, we know he's limited after Wednesday's practice, and they said that was kind of going to be the line of demarcation. But I imagine just like you do with any player that might be battling an injury, you go into it and say, okay, we're expecting to see this guy have a full workload, and if he plays less, then you say, okay, well, those are a few less plays we have to consider concern ourselves with him. Well, you'd rather be prepared if he does play it than if he doesn't. <laughs> you know, because he's such a dynamic player that you you need to be prepared for him. You know, he's a game-changing back, and he showed that, you know, his rookie year in the league. He was a game-changing back. And so for us, it, it's all about respect it, and no matter what. And even even if Barkley doesn't play, they got Book. And, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, and, and Devontae Booker had a great year last year with the Raiders, and he went and earned himself a little bit of money with the Giants, and he's no slouch. And so you got to respect everyone you play. When you – Circle back around, and I, I think I actually heard Teddy say this uh, when he was on the podium. He said, it's almost less about them and more about us, right? I understand that's a little different defensively because you're reacting to how they're attacking you to, to some degree unless you're just blowing up every single every single play, every single snap. But is that the way you, you look at it? Like if we take care of our business and, and we're living in their backfield, we don't really care how much Saquon's playing or what Daniel Jones is doing. That's how I feel every week in this league. And, you know, I've always been a proponent of saying we can go 16, I guess now 17 and 0 if, you know, if we take it game by game. And I have no problem ever, you know, like saying that because you, that's the way you can be successful in this league. That's the way you got to be successful. Like, that's the way it, that's what it takes <laughs> is that confidence of, and you look at them every week and say, we can whoop your ass. We should be able to go 17 0. And, and, you know, a lot of some fans may not understand that, but I feel every football player understands that. You go into a game and you automatically be like, damn, we're playing, the, we're playing the Buccaneers this week. Oh, that's a loss. What? Then what type of competitor are you? <laughs> what, what type of competitor are you right. to be counting yourself out before the game even started? Right. And so that's, that's what I feel like is, is, you know, the mindset you have to have to be successful in this league. So it, it obviously something we talked about last week because you talked about it on your press conference and then uh, on the podcast. 
you openly acknowledging you guys have sucked in September and you're 0-7 under Vic. It's something that certainly has been talked about early in the week. Is it something that's harped on in the building or only at this point now being brought up when you're asked about it in an interview or, in this case, a podcast? It's something that we talk about as players. You know, the coaches, you know, the coaches talk about it, but I think us as players have made it a bigger emphasis than anyone because it's embarrassing. Start fast. Literally, like, you see teams in the league that start off 9-0 and and then lose the next five, like four or five, but still make the playoffs. It's very rarely when you see a team start 0-8, 0-5, you know, like 0-5, 0-6, and then win the next nine. It's very rare. I remember it was a team a couple years ago. I feel like it was the Texans. I can't remember that. Started off like 0-4, 0-5. Oh, yeah, it was the Texans. They started off 0-3 or like something like that, and then they ended up making the playoffs that year. It was a couple years ago, but it's very rarely when you start off that slow that you're going to catch up and, and, you know, make the playoffs and really make it – Make a splash this year. Yeah, and I don't know if a team's ever started 0-4 and made the playoffs. And we kind of touched on it last week, but you you can't look ahead to Jacksonville, though we know they're a young team with a rookie quarterback, and the Jets coming in here week three, a young team with a rookie quarterback. But there's got to be some discussion about the approach here in these first three games in September that, like, we have a chance, a banged-up Giants team that's still trying to – figure out who they are under Joe Judge and then two rookie quarterbacks. And, and you don't want to project too far out, but the idea of being one and two or oh and three is seems mind blowing. So how do you, I guess, guard against overconfidence or knowing these are three games you have to win, but making sure you take care of business and winning the three games. And you got, I guess you got to do it one at a time. Well, that's the thing. One and oh, every week, you know, you could talk about the whole season, but at the end of the day, all that matters is going one and oh every week. And, and you can't go 2-0, 3-0 without going 1-0. And so you got to focus on each opponent and give them the respect. And, and that's how you get beat in this league is when you start overlooking opponents thinking about the next week. And you just got to gotta stay focused and really get it. And, and you, it's, we are so, you know, like I said, I always say, we're so blessed to, like, play this game. Why, why waste your time and look towards the opponent that you're not even playing this week? Let's focus on who we're playing with this week. Let's focus who we're playing today. Focus focus on the man who's right across from you. And, and I think that's how it should be. Yeah, it, it does seem like the best teams, and, you, and you've been a lot of places now, and, and certainly I know talk to people uh, as your teammates over the years were part of that Super Bowl 50 team, but the teams that can really focus week to week and just make it a one-week season every week, especially early and through the middle part of the year before you're looking at standings and all that. But when you're winning more games and you're losing, you know that that stuff will sort itself out. But really just going, okay, this week it's the Giants. Then next week you go, okay, this week it's the Jags. And, and you don't even worry about the, the team the week after or the week after that. See, we're in a sport where our regular season is the shortest out of all sports. So that puts even more emphasis on week-to-week week, you know, preparation, week-to-week week focus. Because one game matters in our regular season, but it may not come, you know, matter in the NBA. You have 82 games. Or MLB, what is it, 162 games. <laughs> and so, like, literally, like, for us, when you get 17 games, you have to take every game, you know, pretty much like a Super Bowl. Like, every, every win matters. I, I guess part of it, too, uh, that all ties into where I want to go next is is leadership, right, and captains. And the reason I say that is one of the bigger stories, maybe around the league, right, you find out that, captains are being named but here where Vic Fangio went game to game with his captains in years past 
or his first two years, he now has team captains. And you guys voted on it last week. So I guess you've known about it a little longer. And then it, it came out on Monday that you've got three defensive players, Vaughn Miller, who I want to say has been a captain before, but I can't swear. Justin Simmons, first time being a captain. I don't know about K-Jack in Houston. On the offensive side, Teddy Bridgewater, not that big of a surprise. Cortland Sutton, maybe uh, a surprise. And then Brandon McManus, who I know has been a special teams captain in the past. So you have those six captains, and that's not where your leadership ends. But what was kind of the, the buzz in the locker room after the captains were announced? You know, they're all very, very worthy captains. And, you know, we're very happy for them to represent our team. And, and that's the thing. Like you said, there's a bunch of other guys on our team that, that deserve to, to be a captain at some point in their career. And, and their, their leadership doesn't stop with being a captain. You know what I mean? And so when it comes to all those guys, I feel like they all bring a different type of leadership quality to the table to, that helps us win games. And, and I just really think that necessarily captains are, you know, the who's a captain is really overblown because it's we're all in this together. Everyone, you know, speaks out. Everyone, you know, we all need each other. It's not one person we need more than the other. And I really feel like we're in this equally. And I just think that when you're all in this equally, you know, you have to be able to take criticism from anyone. You have to be able to give it to anyone. And, and I feel like it's, it's, that's just not like a captain thing. But I, I just definitely think that, you know, we, we picked a, a great, what is it, six, six captains. And, and, you know, we're going to ride with them. And, and that's our guys. Yeah, it seems like captains matter maybe when things aren't going great. When things are going well, it's it's – going well for everybody right so uh i think that that's one of those where it's like insurance right you only need them you only need insurance when when something bad happens so when when you guys are winning then captains are just like everybody else things are things are going smoothly speaking of things going smoothly covid19 is still certainly an issue all across the, the country and and the nfl is not immune to that so when you see that a player like a Zach Martin is going to have to miss the opener unless he had the two negative tests. And Tom Brady came out last week and said he thinks COVID might be even more of an issue this year. And maybe some of that is us letting our guard down or as a society. Do you as a player in the back of your head think, man, I really have to be even more diligent because the world is open back up and I can't afford you missed four games because of COVID and one more because of your knee, if my math is right, that you can't get a positive test because you know your wife was unfortunately somewhere where she got it or your daughter who's in high school picked it up and and brought it home and next thing you know you're out two games see it's hard because obviously like i understand it because you want your kids to live a normal life and obviously we're in a pandemic and i'm just i just only imagine if i was in high school middle school or something during a pandemic you know what i mean so you try to take them to you know account but it's just, you know, I have three kids in school, <laughs> you know, I, you know, Evelyn's, I mean, Evelyn's in preschool and my slash like daycare, CJ's in kindergarten and then uh, Kamaya's in high school. So they're all surrounded by, you know, thousands, hundreds of people every day. And so we're, you know, we're at risk. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's no two ways, it's no, no two ways around it. Like we're at risk. And so, it's just hard to try to manage, you know, it's kind of like, damn, like, well, I, well, no, you can't go to your friend's house, but shit, you were just at school with her all day. 
<laughs> you right. know what I mean? So it's like I don't. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not like I don't want to be an asshole about it. And you got to be realistic about it. And you know, you just have to hope. You know, I have the antibodies and I got vaccinated, and you just hope they work. <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 that's really where, where it goes because you know, obviously, if they feel like it's safe enough for all these kids to go to school, then I can't tell them they can't hang out with their friends after school. Like, well, is that really gonna make that big of a difference? You know what I mean? So it's it's tough. You know, this is is the COVID world we live in now. But you know, last year I held uh, Kamaya out of school, and so she missed her eighth grade year. And you know, it kind of sucks. Well, because then we got COVID, and then they wouldn't let her back in. Because <laughs> well, right. you already like once you already opted out, you couldn't get back in. Right. So. Right. It's kind of like, well, we held her out of school and we got COVID anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was just like the same, the same questions of if you were going to play last year. Well, like and, of people opting out. And, you know what I mean? And then you also add to it, you're one situation and everyone on your team is different, but there's definitely players and, and coaches and people in the building that are vaccinated and their significant others are and maybe their older kids are too but they're still going to school or their younger kids are going to school. And so then you have to take into account every person they come into contact with. And then you are in the locker room, you're in the dining room. And even though you guys have, have all met that vaccination threshold and are pretty close to being a hundred percent, I think there's maybe two teams in the league that are officially a hundred percent or claiming to be a hundred percent. But with you guys, with you guys close to that, it's not that you let your guard down, but it's just, you kind of go about your business on a daily basis. You have to be, I guess, at least looking over your shoulder thinking about, yeah, I'm sitting at table with these guys, but maybe I do want to be one or two seats away. Right. Or whatever it may be just because you, you don't know what you no no malicious intent by anyone, just bad luck. If, if somebody else were to bring it into the dining room or whatever locker room. Well, think of it like this, like for me, like when I go to like, let's say a doctor's doctor's office. So if I go somewhere and there's people sitting down for me, usually I'm not sitting right next to them. You know, and that's just, you know, obviously because of COVID, but it's just, you, you got to take precautions where you can. And, and obviously, you know, we're, it's, 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 a, it's a unprecedented time. And so you're learning as you go and you just pretty much just have to roll with the punches. Speaking of rolling with the punches, it appears that our pal Bradley Chubb was rolling a little too fast. And then got himself into some legal headaches more than anything because he didn't take care of things properly. And I guess there was a failed court appearance. It was just a few weeks ago. And that court is next door to your office. So there's that. But it sounds like he simply thought something was taken care of and it was more of a clerical error, or at least that's what he thought on his uh, side of things. So I'm curious when you see that as a team, and you see Twitter blowing up and, and you know how talk radio is going to be in, in this town and, and everything else that comes with it. What's the reaction in the locker room? Or are you guys just laughing at the way because of how your team is covered? It blows up to a level that it has no business blowing up to because in reality, it's just like any of the rest of us that would have the same, the same headache, but no one's going to jail <laughs> and no one's you know going to prison because of, of a couple of speeding tickets and a failure to appear in court and, and just not having it taken care of. 
It's really not that big of a deal. And it's really trash, I think, of the Denver media. And I'm going to call call you assholes out. The Denver media and, <laughs> and, you know, some of this fan base to be out here talking shit, trying to make it seem like it's a bigger deal than what it is. Like, who, like, okay, most, a lot of adults have had speeding tickets or traffic tickets that they forgot to take care of or the guy miscommunicated. And as you know, oops, <laughs> It looks like you have a warrant out for your rest, but the whole thing is we don't hear about it because nobody gives a shit. <laughs> and, that, and that's the whole thing. Nobody cares if a random person goes and gets, you know, uh, uh, has a warrant because they missed a court, a court date or, you know, anything like that. Like, And you wouldn't make a big deal if, if your next door neighbor, if, you, if your next door neighbor told you a story about what about what happened, you wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be some big deal. You wouldn't be trying to crucify this man. You wouldn't be doing any of that shit. You know what I mean? And so it's just, it's really frustrating because then now you wonder why, you know, players don't like the media <laughs> over something so, you know, something so small we're making this big ass deal about, you know, and that's why, you know, part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast is because we're not going to get stuck on the small shit. This is stupid. <laughs> Like, this is stupid. He made a mistake. Let's move on. You know what I mean? Like, there's no story here. There's no story here. And it's just, it's just, it's getting tiring that, like, you know, a lot of different meetings need something to talk about, and they don't care who they take down while they're doing it. And this shit needs to change, and it's just, it's just getting out of hand. Well, it's funny, because it happened while I was on air on KOA filling in for Big Al, and JoJo, his partner, asked, is this going to be an issue that the legal again to? I was like, they can't, that can't possibly be something on their radar i go but let me check and so when i asked somebody with the team they basically laughed at me <laughs> and i asked somebody else uh, in another part of the building i go hey what's going on with chubb and they're like oh you mean his injury and i'm like no this thing and they're like oh i would that looks like nothing you know <laughs> like it was it was almost like that's it's such a non-story that we're not even reacting you know, we're not even reacting to it. It was like, man, if you know what it is, it's just like in college when underage kids get a drinking ticket. Like, who the hell cares? Sure, it's going to happen. Like, you never hear about you. Like, it's not something that you should ever really hear about in the media. Like, unless they go and like something up, but like, it just, it just makes no sense of why the Denver media is really trying to like make such a big deal about this. And I'm just telling you, it's going to hurt you in the long run. If you're trying to be one of those shock jock uh, hosts or whatever that that just needs headlines and shit, is this is going to hurt you because we're not going to talk to you. And I think you know it's it's just that's what it's going to take to be able to, in order to get you know people to actually report something that actually matters, not some bullshit. And I know everybody's crossing their fingers that, that he's going to play, right? Vic Fangio said that he thought he'd play. We'll see if, if he gets there, and and just like Saquon Barkley or anybody else, they'll either he'll either be there or not, or if not. You've got a guy that certainly had plenty of time. Vic was asked about that, about Malik Reed. Like, Malik Reed has played a shitload in his first two years in the league because Bradley Chubb went down and then Von Miller went down. So you guys are, are in, in okay shape. That, that's something that maybe, I guess, on a more macro level. The depth this year, as we're now, you know, as we're kind of circling back around to the opener with the Giants and, and the kickoff, you've got to feel really good to know that when you come out, the drop-off isn't hardly any and and at every spot you know Josie Jewell who we're going to talk to the drop off behind him we saw he's out for 10 days they like where Sternod is at and we and we we think the Browning kid could get there but Jonathan Cooper living in the backfield and we could go all over the the place on both sides of the ball it's it's a really really deep team that's got to be exciting and that's what I feel like is what the difference is between 
this team and, and teams from years past is if one person goes down, we have, you know, quality starters that will go in and, and there's really no drop off, you know, and, and that's the thing is it's just, we all are, are skilled and we're all, we're all good. <laughs> and it's just, it's just rare to, I feel like have that much depth on our defense. And, you know, you even talk about the corners, but like, you know, I saw this one article the other day. It was somebody saying that the D line has no depth behind, uh, behind the starters. And I think that's complete bullshit. <laughs> Once again, you know, I guess this person wasn't watching camp and just seeing, you know, everybody everybody eats. And that's the whole thing. It's like when we went to Minnesota, everybody was eating. When we went to Seattle, everybody was eating. Like, you can't really tell me anybody that was a piece of shit, like, out there. And so, and that's the thing. It's like we have depth at every position, and I think we're really excited about that. And speaking of something that Vic said, I asked him, because you know, I like asking about goals, right? And I ask you about goals, and I've asked Vaughn about his goals seemingly every year. This year he said he didn't really have any, although he still wants to play quarterback at some point and throw a touchdown pass and have a sack in the same game. But when I asked Vic, and I, and I qualified it, I asked Teddy Bridgewater as well, but I was like, let's take wins off it. I know wins are your goal. But do you as a defensive coach have goals, takeaways, sacks? And he goes, yeah, takeaways. And, and he jumped on the answer. He goes, takeaways, absolutely. He goes, we want two or three a game. And if we're not getting them, then, you know, it's noticeable. He goes, sacks don't always tell the full story, right? Because a pressure, he goes, we can be getting plenty of pressures and that'll be affecting the quarterback. But I I think I appreciate that when coaches will admit that they're going to write goals on the board. Do you guys have that in the D-line room? Does Bill Kolar write stuff up or on defense? Do Vic and Ed Donatel say, hey, this is what we're doing this week. Like, we're hitting these numbers. Well, we obviously, we have our goal. Like, position group-wise, we have our goals. You know, for us, is yards per carry. You know, you want to keep that down. And, and then we have little wages like the first sack and shit. You know, obviously, you got to make some make some fun in this, too. But, you know, when it comes to the goals, though, it's, I think our goals are pretty, you know, out there for the defense to know. We know last year – no, actually, what was that? We were just talking about this at practice. Um, what was it, two years ago when we started off the season with zero turnovers and zero sacks? For like his first three and, games in the Vic Fangio era, and everyone's looking around like this defensive guru, and you guys can't get the ball back or get to the QB. No, and so that's you know obviously our goals are get to QB turn and turnovers, and you know and then when we and you can't obviously not talking about wins because you took it out took that category out, but if you can get to the quarterback because oh I'd say one of our biggest goals of what we we're talking about today is like what if all four people across that ten sacks. Okay. You know, like we would like wondering, has that ever been done before? You know, I I don't know. I mentioned the 1989 Vikings where Hall of Famer Chris Dolman had 21, Keith Millard had 18 and a half, I think, and and then Big Al Noga in the middle as a, as a three tech had 10 and a half or eight and a half, but. I, I don't know. It, it probably hasn't, right? I feel like we would know. Be like, oh, you remember when those four guys all had 10 sacks? But yeah, with obviously the two guys next to you on the outside and then Draymond on the inside, it's super realistic to think that it, it could happen. And, you know, certainly, uh, look, Vaughn's never been defensive player of the year, and, and he may not get there this year, but he's also never had 20 sacks. And maybe this is the year he gets there with the 17th game, or maybe Bradley Chubb is, you know, those guys are both well into the teens and you and, and Draymond are fast on their heels and both chasing the double digits that I know you want. That's the goal. And so when you talk about you know, the goals that we want for defense, you know, if we, if we achieve that, that must mean we're winning because teams are throwing the ball and that means we're up, you know? And so these goals all come back to one thing. 
winning. And and that's really the main thing. That's the last thing I wanted to get to before we get to, to Josie Jewel. And so I'm going to try something here that we've never done on the podcast. And if this doesn't work, you may never hear it. Uh, but I thought Melvin Gordon, who we really enjoyed talking to uh, recently on the pod, had a really good answer about this team and needing to win and being at a point where you guys just need to win. So I'm going to try to play this. We'll see if we can hear it. Is that it's a lot of guys that are hungry. We've been saying it, you know, you know, we've, we've, uh, you know, we've been in position last year where it's just, it wasn't good. We started slow, you know, we, we, we make good runs coming back, but being in that hole, man, is not a good feeling, you know, coming down that stretch where it's like, you have to win to get in. It's not a good feeling. You know, you want to know you have some security. You want that buy. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a part of a winning team um, before, and it's just the atmosphere is just it's just so much better, man. When you're losing, everyone can feel it. You know, everything is so tense. You know, it is what it is. It's just that's, that's, that's part of the game, man. It's everyone's tense. Everyone's on the edge. When you walk around, it's just tough. But when you're winning, it's just loose. You know, it's loose. It's a better atmosphere. It's a better place to be. And, uh, you know, for those rookies that came in last year, you know, they, they, you know, they don't know how that feels. You know, and we kind of want to get them that. Um, you know, Teddy's been part of a winning season. I've had a winning season. Some guys in here had some winning seasons before, especially other guys that have been with different teams. Um, but we want to bring that here because this, you know, this is a winning culture here. You know, and we want to we want to get that Super Bowl. And uh, we, want, we want to know how it feels. We're tired of looking at Patrick Mahomes holding up and Tom Brady holding up the trophy at the end of the year. Uh, we want to change that, man. So to do that, we got to stack those Ws. Yeah, that's exactly how we feel. We're, t- we're tired of, you know, you know, Mahomes up here winning the West and, you know, going to the Super Bowl. And it's, it's time. Like, it's time for the bullshit to stop. It's time for us to stop shooting ourselves in the foot. It's time for us to step up and actually be the team that, you know, we expect of ourselves and everyone else does. You know, and I think most people should know we're just as tired of this shit as everybody else. And we're putting in the work <laughs> to get this shit up, you know, to, to fix it. And I think, you know, I think you guys will be pleasantly surprised at, you know, the final product. Yeah, it's one of those where you say this is Broncos country, right? And that's kind of what he alluded to, that winning culture is is something that Pat Bolin instilled in this franchise. And you want to you want to honor that more than than uh, maybe other places. And it's been five years since they've been in the playoffs around here. Definitely Broncos country knows it and sort of like the sense of urgency with getting off to a fast start, the 17th game, the extra playoff spot. There's really no reason the way this team is constructed that you guys won't be in that mix and and won't be challenging maybe for the division, but certainly for one of those playoff spots for sure. The only reason it would be is because we didn't do what we were supposed to do. And, And that's, we're pros, and so that's unacceptable. So it's, it's unacceptable for us to fall short this year. All right, then why don't we jump to our chat with Josie Jewell, a guy who was second on the team in tackles last year, and a guy that I know Vic Fangio trusts in, in the middle of that defense. What do you like about playing with Josie Jewell before we get to him? Man, he just knows everywhere everyone's supposed to be. And, you know, I'm telling you right now, if, if there's somebody I'm going to go in battle with, it'd be Joseph because, you know, it's just when it gets to that, that time at the end of the game, you know, and and you're all tired and, and it's just it's hectic 
Josie's the one that's going to bring it together and calm everyone down and, and get everybody set and just make sure that we're all doing the right thing. You know, I'm talking about a hell of a football player, hard nose, you know, never gives up. And, you know, he's a Midwestern guy too. You know, we have a special place here on the shell shock pod for, for the Midwest. And so, you know, I, I had, had to, had to have Josie on. As always, when we talk to somebody, it's brought to you by, Aspire Dental, giving you a dental experience you can look forward to. Aspire Dental, where excellence in dentistry meets inspired hospitality. AspireDental.com. That's Aspire with an E. Let's get to Josie Jewell. Now introducing, you know, I, I, I call him, you know, the voice box of the defense. You know, I always feel a lot more comfortable when this guy is back there. You know, his nickname around the team, well, at least in the D-line room, is the outlaw himself. Josie Jewell, man, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are yourself? I really can't complain. Well, I could complain because we had practice today, but I, I won't complain. You know, two hour two hour practices are my favorite. You know, I, I, I love it. Is always the best. You know, <laughs> man. So you know, big season coming up for everyone has big expectations for this season, and well, including myself, and I'm sure you do. But I want to know what are your expectations for the season, and just really how are you feeling. I'm feeling great. Yeah. Uh, early on in camp, had a little in, uh, injury. So I uh, got over that and back to hundred percent. So that's awesome. Um, staying healthy is the biggest key. You know that already uh, for, you know, how many years you played um, expectations, man, there's a lot of expectations uh, personally and from the fans around, I'm sure too. Um, but I, I think I'm just going to keep it pretty straightforward and just have expectations for the first game and then move, uh, move forward as the first game goes along um and then you know keep on moving from there but i just want to win this first game um want to go over to new york beat them and then uh kind of evaluate how we're really doing because preseason yeah it's a good evaluation for some parts um but when you're not going against other ones it's kind of hard to evaluate yourself and against other people but yeah i'm excited for the season man we got a lot of pieces well so what's interesting is Teddy Bridgewater in his press conference was asked when you have a bunch of pieces that haven't necessarily played together and you guys have maybe a little more on defense and when you change a quarterback, that's a pretty significant change. How do you sell to the team that, hey, we're going to go into to this first game and win it, especially when you're in the game? He says he, he and he qualified. He's like, I, I don't want to make it sound weird. He goes, but you have to sell hope. Something tells me that's not the way you approach it defensively. That might be the way you approach it offensively. You guys aren't selling hope when it comes to no. your game plan and your strategy and beating the Giants. Yeah, I think we have pretty good confidence, um, especially in the defense uh, with a bunch of guys that have been around, have been in the league. You know, I mean, there's Kyle Fuller's one of the newer guys on the corners, um, but he's already been in the same system. Uh, so he knows the same stuff uh, just from being in that um, and out of that piece, Pat Sertain. Um, just a smart guy and understands how to play football. So, I mean, yeah, we have some new pieces, but everybody that's new understands what we're doing. So it should be fun. I'm excited about it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of potential, but we have to go out and execute. You know, I would definitely say this. So it's, you, we do have a couple new guys on defense, but I, I say with the guys that we have, you know, um, we're, it's easier for us to, you know, help the new guys along. You know, I feel like we have a good, like a good core of people and not just good football players, but good people who want who don't want to see the next guy fail. And so it's all about, you know, just helping them out. And, you know, I even say this is like, especially D lineman wise, you know, sometimes you have people coming for your spot, but you're not 
in competition with them. I would say you're not in competition with them. You're in competition with yourself because the only people person you should be competing against is yourself. Because when you start putting on that extra stress on all the other stuff, you, you know, you start to struggle. And so we have these new guys come in, you know, like you had Darby, you have Fuller come in and the corners are the main ones helping them. And then these are people, you know, you're, you're fighting for a position against, you know what I mean? And I just think that takes our defense just to a different level as it's, it's, it's a very selfless defense. And I just think that, you know, on ordinarily, we have a bunch of leaders on this defense, even though you may only, like, give the credit to one or two or three people. I feel like everybody that's been in this team for longer than a year is okay, you know, speaking up and helping the next guy or speaking up and have a big question about the defense. I think it's just – I'm excited. Well, yeah, and that's, I would say that's different than what right when I got here with some of the guys – I'm not going to name anybody, but some of the guys we used to have here – that wasn't the same thing. Like you said, that selflessness um, and just trying to help everybody along, no matter if they're at the same position as you or if they're, you know, lined up right next to you. Everybody cares about each other, it seems like, um, and wants everybody to do better, which is, I think it's hard to find. I don't know. I mean, it, I'm sure as, you know, people get into more teams, they see that, but it's, uh, I feel like it's very, very unique. Well, so then, Josie, your role has kind of switched in that regard. You were the guy battling for a spot for playing time recently with Todd Davis. And, and it was it was a pretty clear demarcation from the start of camp or, you know, you came out and said, I want to start. Then at the end of camp, they end up cutting Todd Davis and you get the start. And I remember asking you after he was cut and you guys had that scrimmage at stadium. Now you're the starter. How did that feel? Then you go out and you have a hundred tackle season and you're right on the heels of Alexander's. You guys are battling for for the lead, uh, you know, leading the team in tackles. But now you've got young guys over your shoulder. Like, you have no time to breathe because Justin Sternod's there and they draft Baron Browning and, and we see his talent when he finally got on the field. So how do you balance that with, all right, this is my job for now, but I know these young guys certainly are out here to take my job in Alexander's. Right, exactly. And like you said, I, we've had that history where, you know, I've been at the top and I brought back down and then I've been at the bottom and I got brought back up. So, um it's like, it's like Shelby said. I mean, you're competing against yourself. Uh, and you definitely, I think, I helped other guys along. I helped Justin. I helped Baron. Um, whoever's alongside of me or behind me, I'm definitely helping them out, just like Todd did with me. Um, but definitely not hoping that anybody takes my spot, and I'm confident that I'll have my spot. Um, but you just have to compete against yourself. You have to go out there daily and just to try to get better personally. And you can't worry about what everybody else does. You just got to do you to your best ability. Um and if that doesn't work, then you're going to go somewhere else. But you got to do your best. Well, and, and how do you block out that noise? Because it seems like since Vic's gotten here, whether it was Todd, you, even Alexander, people are looking for other linebackers. Plenty of people wanted Micah yeah. Parsons to be a Bronco. And, and we've seen, you know, the kid obviously look good early uh, on hard knocks or whatever. But how, how do you block that noise out? Because you're, you're savvy enough and aware of what's going on in the world and, and on social media a little bit. Yeah, I kind of listen to too much social media, honestly. Um, and, and I don't take it into factor really. I just look up stuff and I look to find negative energy, um, and use it for power and stuff like that. And yeah, people, some people never are satisfied with linebackers or other positions and they always want something better. Um, I mean, I think we're pretty damn good right now. Uh, I know we can get better. So I think throughout the season, I think we're going to strive to get better. And as a team, that's what we're going to do too. But yeah, I like a little bit of the noise. Um, you know, I try to tune it out. I like some negative stuff and I go off of that. You know, you were talking about guys getting better. And, you know, every year I know for myself, I go into the offseason on what what the hell can I really focus on getting better at? 
And so I, I wanted I wanted to hear from you, like, what did you think you need to get better at from last year? And then how did you, you know, get better? Yeah, I think it's just quickness. Um, at linebacker, the quickness and the first couple steps of the down or first second of the down is very important to be able to die and also diagnose things. Um, but the quickness is, is amazing in coverage and then understanding your gaps and being able to fit gaps even better uh, with our defense, you know, whether it be outside zones, counters and stuff like that, or drills, um, having that quickness to be able to either maybe shed people faster. But there's been a lot of things I tried to, you know, improve on, and that's been the mental part of the game, understanding the game better, understanding our defense better, um, and what puts us in the best scenario or best, best situation, quickness, and then upper body strength to shed the, to shed those big old linemen. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff, honestly. And there's, there's always one thing I usually pick out during the offseason for a couple weeks, and I focus on that. And then the next two weeks, I focus on the next thing um, and try to just, you know, mold it together towards the end of the offseason and, and see how I feel. Um, and as this offseason came to a close, I felt pretty good about the things that I worked on and the things that I try to progress on. So we'll see how it all comes together, you know, uh, on this Sunday. This is – you got you got drafted on the Vance's uh, with Vance Joseph. Yeah. And obviously we've had – two defensive head coaches since we've been in Denver. And so what would you say is the biggest difference between their defenses that are asked of the middle linebacker? Uh, Vance's was a little different. Vance's was, uh, it's, it was something I was not used to in college. Vance's was, uh, and a lot of the stuff, you know, it was shooting gaps. Um, sometimes we didn't even play blocks as linebackers. We either shot the A and B gap on drill plays and stuff like that or zones. And now it's, let you guys play blocks and we're playing blocks too. I mean, we're still staying in our gap. If you can make it, go shoot it. But it's a lot more playing the blocks, um, staying in the second level. If we need to, you know, maybe over rotate or something over somebody else on a counter, we can do that. But don't get in the line of scrimmage and waste yourself if you're not going to make the play. Um, and that's that's some of the, the small differences, I think. Well, what defense did you run in Iowa? We ran something similar. It's, it was a lot of quarters. Um and we played a little man, a little cover three and stuff like that. But it was a four three. So it was it was a little bit different. But they've changed now. They've changed to like uh what would you call it? Uh four two five. Uh, isn't that what isn't that what TCU runs? I don't know. I was don't, it a four three? It's something like that. But four two five, that's a natural nickel, isn't it? Yes, that is exactly yeah, yeah that's a natural nickel. Exactly what nickel is. But at Iowa we had two inside gut linebackers. And then we had an outside linebacker that played like a nickel usually does. We're going to line up on number two and play like quarter flat or play like vertical curl. Um, and he'll be outside the box if they're playing a lot of like trips and stuff like that. So definitely a little bit different coming uh, from a four, three, and then going into a three, four. Um, but it went pretty well. And, uh, and the defenses have more got complicated, I guess, throughout the years. And now since coach Fangio's here, uh, it's a pretty complex defense, but it's very rewarding once you get it. Well, I, I want to ask a question about goals, but you guys talking nickel just got me thinking because I certainly talked with Shelby on here plenty as he kind of did a full roster breakdown, and I've asked him specifically about the the youngster, Pat Sertan, who you guys did draft, not a quarterback, not Micah Parsons, Pat Sertan Jr., and he's playing nickel, he's playing dime, and, and Vic and Ed Donatel have talked about they've never had a rookie DB that they've asked to do this much. What have you seen from him, Josie? And, and when he comes in there in those sub packages, and I know sometimes that means you're subbed out, but when you are out there with him and you see him or you're standing on the sidelines, uh, what's your evaluation uh, of the first rounder? Intelligent and very confident, and confident in a good way. Uh, going out there, not you know shaking in his boots about 
uh, what to do. He's very certain. Um, and when I'm out there, I mean, I even communicate with him because I just like to communicate to get myself on the same track as everybody else. Um, and in dime package, when we line up together, I'll talk to him and say, oh, what do we got here? You got this. I got this. But very confident in what he's doing, understands his role out there. Um, and intel- I mean, the intelligence is crazy from just being able to come out of college and then play nickel and dime and to be able to move back and forth with all the types of defenses that we have on our defenses. It's very, it's very, it's very fun to watch that because not a lot of guys can snap their finger and just know stuff like that because there's so many variations. There's so many different coverages. There's so many different alignments that you have to go off of blitzes. Um, and he's done a great job. So it's been fun watching him um, and lining up next to him and just seeing how talented of a guy he is. All right, so then- well, I always heard that Alabama defense is very hard to, you know, to learn. I always heard it's, okay. it's, it's, it's very difficult, a very difficult defense to play in. Yeah, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're pretty good with uh, all their alignments and assignments to see uh, they're doing the same thing every day and year winning. Yeah, no kidding. And they came out of the, uh, out of the gates, obviously firing in, in their opener all over the hurricanes. Uh, so, go, so goals. And I know that you and Alexander in the past have had a, a friendly better, at least last year you did. He, he got you by, I think 11 tackles, 124 to 113, according to, according to the stats, do you guys have a, a friendly bet and what kind of personal goals, if any, do you set beyond just wanting to, I would assume, lead the team in tackles? Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't talked about the bet yet. I think that's probably going to be coming here in the next couple of days. Honestly, we need to, we need to go over that, um, and talk about that. It, it, it's definitely going to be a bet somewhere in between there on how many tackles we can get. Uh, but goals, you know, last year I had a couple tip passes or a couple missed picks. There's probably one or two missed picks. I had one off the fingers and then one that the running back hit out of my hands. I need to get a couple picks this year. Um, so that's just, you know, a gameplay um, goal of mine that I want to get this year is at least three or four picks. Um, and I need to be able to cause more turnovers, especially on fumbles and stripping the ball too. Um, but, you know, a lot of my stuff is is week to week, and it really depends um, how I'm feeling or who's our competition. I'll look against the O-line um, and then against the running back and against the tight end since we go to them again, against them mostly. And then I'll make my goals based off them. Um, and I see an old college, an old college um, player that we used to play in Penn State um, with Saquon this week. So that'll be fun. Um, still have to set my goals with him. So we'll see how much he plays and stuff like that. But, yeah, I'm just excited about getting rolling here. Um, and, you know, as, as the season goes along, as we go game by game, my goals will change. Man, were you, guys, were you there and when they, I think it was in Iowa when, when I think Penn State was ranked – and in Iowa was ranked, and I think Penn State pulled it out. Yeah, they like beat last, last second. Yeah, well, you were there for that. Yeah, I was. I was all there for that one. That was that was, fun. <laughs> was, <I> was <laughs> that was crazy. They had me. It was me and like every third down, it was me versus Saquon. It was like, all right, you line up on him, man. I'm like, all right, let's do this thing. And that dude, I mean, he was. He, I think he hurdled a couple people during our game. Uh, he hurdled. Yeah, he hurdled one of our corners. And somebody hit him as he was hurdling him, and he still landed on both his feet. It, it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And he's, he's a specimen. Oh, I was going to say, I think Shelby, uh, that Josie's draft status dropped like two rounds. He was two rounds higher before that. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't play that. I played pretty good that no, game. I know, I know. I it, was, it was definitely not a negative. negative, negative oh. <laughs> man, get him off you, Josie. Get him off you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike, hey. Josie. 
So what is like the the big play for a linebacker? Like what is like the dream play? Is it a pick six or like or like what like what would it be? Oh gosh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, it'd probably be a pick six, or you know maybe during like a counter coming through like the combo block on the backside, like the A gap. Yeah. Nobody's seeing you, and you just come scot free, and then you smash the running back. Uh, I mean, those are two two of the biggest ones that I think about that are just like highlighters. Um, or on like a screen or something like that, a little jailbreak, uh, and he's coming right at you and you just level him. I mean, those are a couple of them. But, I mean, it's just like anybody else, I think, is the pick six is always a big one for everybody. And then a couple big hits where you're either unblocked or you make a great read and you're running around somebody and you make a great TFL. Just a couple more questions. We don't want to take up too much of your time. (laughs) Obviously, it's Giants week, first week of the season. Man, so what have you seen so far on the film? And, you know, what, what, who are the New York Giants? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, they look like a pretty good team, pretty good quarterback that's uh, getting a little more um, confidence as he goes along, I think, in his career here with uh, the Giants. And then they've got some injured pieces, you know, a tight end that's really good. And then they got Saquon that's uh, back and forth uh, between injured and stuff like that. And then they got an old player of ours, Booker, who's a really good receiving running back, um, very good in open space. Kyle Rudolph's also really good at tight end. Um, and he's, he's a really good vet and older guy that's that's gone through the things and done a really good job. Um, and they got a couple of good wide receivers. So, you know, they can they can run the ball a little bit. Um, and the passing downs are pretty interesting with the route combinations. Um, but I think we fit up pretty well with them and our, our scheme against them fits pretty well. But overall, I think they're a good team. I haven't looked at their defense at all or anything like that. Just looked at their offense and and I've seen some good things out of the running back, especially, you know, Saquon and Booker and then tight end class. Their tight end room is pretty good, too, but depends on their healthiness. You have to go into it, though, and I guess it's for both you guys, but, Joe, you got to go into it, assuming Saquon's healthy and is going to get a full complement of plays, and then when he's out there less and you're like, okay, that means they're taking, you know, one of the most dynamic players off the field. Not that, not that Devontae Booker isn't dynamic in his own right, but he's not Saquon Barkley, and, and I don't think anybody would accuse him of that. Yeah, definitely. The approach is we're going to see him as much as possible. We're going to see him, you know, 70%. That's, I mean, you think, you think as high as you can on the running back scale, and you think, oh, we're going to see him that much, and if it's less, it's less, and you work from there. But definitely with a running back like him, you're always going to err on the top side of seeing him more than not. Um, and then if you don't, you know, you just work down the scale from there. Hey, I'm just telling you, when you meet him in the hole, you got to say, this is for Iowa. I might pull the pistols out or something. We'll, we'll see if there's any celebration. With <laughs> you got to let him know, I, man. I did, little, I did his QB uh, when we played Penn State. It was actually that game that we lost. I had a pick uh, versus Trace McSorley. And then he had that old home run swing. And I did it right in his face right after I got up. And it was – it was quite interesting. And then they ended up winning, so it was actually terrible. Well, you know how the NFL is now. You're going to find for that, so you better you better I, relax I with that. If I don't point the guns at anybody, I don't get a fine, though. So I think we should be good. Well, but you guys caught that this week, right? Or I think like today that J.C. Treader came out, and he's like, yeah, that was misinterpreted. We didn't say anything about taunting because I, th- I think Rich McKay misinterpreted some conversation, and that's why there was an emphasis on the taunting or whatever and we saw a bunch of garbage in the preseason and and now i think they're going to try to dial it back so maybe yeah. you, you can't talk guns to people quite if you aggressive want. from our from our meetings that we had it was like if you do anything even close to in their face or I mean, it was it was kind of crazy i mean I, I understand some of it but 
you got to let the guys play a little bit and have a little bit of fun um, and you can't take the whole game away from them. It'd be like you get a first down and do the first down <laughs> celebration and then, be like, and then throw a flag. Or <laughs> you, I, I remember I saw one where some guy broke like five, six, seven tackles, got like a good 15 yards. And so he got up hype, like uh, pumping, like, you know, pumping his muscles and stuff. And they threw a flag. It's like, it's like, bro, like, I, are we really not allowed to have any fun, show any emotion? It's really just shut up and play. Yeah, that's uh, that's terrible. Well, yeah, and so then <laughs> you guys need to, after this gets fixed, I think everyone in the NFL needs to figure out a way to point their energy, at least in passing, at the college targeting rule because I'm sure you guys, like every other football fan, is just, you know, aggravated every time you see a, a bad targeting call. Yeah, they are. They're also quite aggressive on that one. Actually, I got one in college and got thrown out of a game. So that was uh, definitely not very fun. Yeah, I got a targeting. I was on uh, what was on? I was on punt return, and this dude was coming down the field, and he started to like trip and fall. Um, and then I was like, I was already going. I was already going into him, and I was about to just smash him. He didn't even see me, and he started to fall, and I was already like five yards away from him. And then I tried to avoid him, and as I tried to avoid him, my head went down to like duck the top of my like or no, my shoulder pad. My shoulder pad hit his helmet. His helmet went like this. And snap back, and then they called it to targeting and threw me out of the game, and I was out the next two quarters. Of the next game, man, and that's so what doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't make any sense to me. How do you, you know, people make mistakes, so you're going to kick them out the game for it? They need to change it like basketball, I'll, right? Like where you have a flagrant one, flagrant two, where they can go back yes. and look at the tape, and right, that's got to be the, the solution. Yeah, they're all just. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're all crazy with the head stuff and all the stuff that's going around around that and concussions. So they're trying to be over overhyped about it and try to solve part of the problem, but you're not going to solve part of the problem. Really. Hey, that, that sucks. Right. And getting kicked out as, as you did, uh, you can't get those games back certainly, but I got to think, and I don't know what's happened to either of you. I'm sure you've seen teammates though. When you get those letters on Thursday or Friday and you get fined for seven grand, 14 grand or whatever for a hit, have you guys had one of those show up? I imagine I, I got fined twenty thousand dollars for tapping Pat Mahomes on the head. It was literally I went to go bat the ball, barely touched his helmet. They tried to fine me twenty thousand dollars for it. Obviously, I it got, got reduced. I got fined for a face mask last year, like six grand, and I was like, I wasn't trying to rip this guy's helmet off. Like, come on. You're just playing football, no, right? It's, it's, it's trash. The penalty should be the penalty in, in that regard. If there's no obviously no malice and you're not yanking his helmet and tossing it across the field like Kyle Turley, right. well. <laughs> or trying to, like, hit him with it. Yeah, or use it as a weapon, right? Like uh, we we saw in that Steelers and, uh, and Browns game. So, uh, Josie, well, we're expecting big things from this defense, and you as, as one of the leaders of it certainly uh, will be right at the top of the list as Broncos country's fired up for – this Giants game and, and, you know, every subsequent game thereafter. So I know Shelby really appreciates having you have his back literally and, and him clearing the way for you to go make a bunch of tackles as well. And, and we appreciate you giving us a little bit of time here on a game week. Hell yeah. Appreciate you guys' time. So Josie Jewell, exactly what you would expect. He's dependable. You know, he's got plenty to, to talk about as it relates to the defense. He certainly loves football. You guys got a little inside football there where you got to really know football to know what uh what you guys were getting into uh with some of the defensive talk and defensive front stuff and all, and all of that but uh i got to think it's nice having a guy like Josie behind you 
you've got such a great athlete in Alexander Johnson having Josie, who's like you said before, we brought him on, just really dependable. You know what you're going to get from him. Yeah, it's, it's, and that's what it's great having Josie back there, just because you know I, I always he's the brain of the defense. You know, and it's up to him, pretty much up to him and Vic to figure out what the hell we're going to do. You know, and he's a, like, he, for us, for me, he gets me lined up. <laughs> he gives us the calls. He, he, he pretty much gives us the checks. He, he does all that stuff. So Josie really just does so much for his defense and he's so dependable. And he's so good at his job. You know, you can't help but appreciate him. Well, and clearly Vic, Vic trusts him, right? And when you talk to anybody about what he brings, it's, it's that he has the, the trust of the head coach. And that's really the number one way you get on the field. And, you know, that's the one thing I was telling all these young guys, you know, and OTAs and in the beginning of camp, you can have all the skills in the world, but if our coaches don't trust you to do your job and you go on the field, you, you probably won't touch the field. And, you know, Josie's like the complete opposite. Josie knows what everyone's doing at all times. All right, so we don't have the video links up because we're just not that up at that point with the podcast, but I do have – the game day program from the lone preseason game against the Rams. Did you know ahead of time that you and, and Draymond and Mike Purcell would be on it, the first line of defense? And did you grab one of these, or did or was one given to you? Did your wife grab one, uh, or anyone else? Did you did you or is this am I breaking news to you? Did you know you're on the cover of the game day program? Yeah, I was. That was for this uh, the Rams game. Yeah, I saw that. Uh... Uh, my D-line coach, uh, Bill Kolar, had told us about it. Put one in all of our lockers. <laughs> but Bill gets, high, Bill gets hyped over little shit like that. It's, it's, it's nice, though. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's cool, though. It's, it makes me always look back on when I wasn't shit, when I wasn't over, when I was on practice squads, bouncing from team to team to, you know, to be on the, on the, on, you know, just on the, the game day pamphlet. It, it was just kind of cool. I have a mailbag-related question for you, then. That would be a mailbag type question. And speaking of mail, because you're of the age where you may have never owned or had a magazine subscription. I definitely did. Going back to Sports Illustrated, ESPN, the magazine being the, the two primary ones. My dad had Sports Illustrated forever. Uh, certainly stories of yesteryear with people's dads having Playboy subscriptions. I'm old enough to have one. I don't know if I ever did. I definitely read them and i even worked in magazines my first job out of school uh, was at a golf magazine have you ever had a subscription to a magazine and if so which one yes i have i am not that young don't do me <laughs> i had one and it was because i was younger and this is why it was the game informer it's a game it's a video game uh, magazine uh, that i got when i was um i think i bought is it when i bought my xbox like a couple of years ago this is a no. I'm talking about this is when I was in like high school and stuff. Uh, we bought a well, I think Xbox 360 what it was back then, and when we got the Game Informer thing, and so it, it, it would tell you about all the new games coming out, what they're rated, and it was have the overview of them. It was it was cool. I loved it because you know I'm a huge gamer, so I had, that's definitely the magazine that I needed. Yeah, I don't have any subscriptions currently to anything I read beyond. I pay for the athletic and then I'm able to piggyback on my mom's New York times and Washington post subscription. So when I click on stuff, but like, you know, I'll click on Apple news on my iPad or on my phone or whatever. And it's like, be a join Apple plus for 13 or 19 bucks or whatever. I'm like, no, I can get the news. Like I'll get these articles somewhere else. Yes. This is, does seem intriguing, but there's too much out there for 
I don't know. It's probably not good for people who write for a living. I'm just being honest. <laughs> no, it's not. And then also when you live in the age of, of headlines, you know, a lot of people stop. I just like for me, if it has something, if it tries to say something interesting in the headline, I'm just like, it's probably not true. <laughs> it's just trying to get you to the article. And so you just stay away from stay away from it in general. Yeah, right. That's what it's the true definition of of clickbait. Right. So um, we did get one mailbag question like we put it out late and then. Uh, you know, people, we've done such a good job of answering questions. We're going to get into some regular season football-related questions, I think, week after week now where people are asking what happened on certain plays and we'll really be able to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of of what might have happened on a Sunday. At Denver Refugee, small baller, I think, is trolling you here. Uh, but we'll have fun with it nonetheless because that's what we do. Uh, he wanted to know, is your ability to knock down passes because you aren't able to beat blockers and sack the QB? Seems like it's really a smart strategic move with two exclamation points. Now, it's worth noting, you're the best in the NFL at knocking the football down. So, and just like I mentioned earlier, Vic Fangio said quarterback pressures or affecting the pass is as good as a sack. I understand sacks get you paid. I'm pretty sure you just got paid despite your sack numbers maybe not being what, say, Vaughn Miller's are. See, you know, I look at the guy as a troll. I'm not even going to. Well, I'm going to get into it because I think it's very interesting because if you actually look at it, most of my batted balls are right at the QB level. And so that means that I did beat the guard and I wasn't the quarterback. Let's talk about last year, the New England game. uh, When Deshaun had the interception, I was right in Cam Newton's face. I beat the guard. And, you know, it's kind of funny you say that when I've had two seasons over five sacks. But, you know, who's counting? Who in the hell is counting? And so, you know, I'm just lucky enough that I can do both. You know, I can beat the guard, get to the QB, and I can bat the ball. And that's why they call me the best hands in the league. Well, you certainly showed that against the Steelers, and I'm sure you'll shake Big Ben's hand when you see him in week five, I want to say. Our guy Blaze coming through at Blaze underscore Requois. If you could choose any Broncos era uniform, what would you choose? And when can I find a signed jersey of yours? I've looked on pristine auction and can't find one. I bet. Can we do this for well, podcast listeners? If they can get in touch with us or the, or the show and want to send you the jersey, you'll sign them for people, won't you? I'm not trying to take money out of your pocket, but if they'll send the return stuff, we'll, we can get it handled, right? Yeah, just send it to the facility. And, yeah. You know, I always say, you know, it's not enough 96 jerseys out there, so I definitely, you know, sign anything you send to me. I have no problem with that because the, the reason I get to do what I do is because of the fans, and so you know, I always try to show love, you know, any chance that I get. Now, when it comes to the Broncos uniform, you know, I don't really know many. Is he, but I would say I really like that old school one. Or the hell with, or with the helmet with the um, what the hell was the old the old deal on it with the horse and yeah, the iconic like Broncos the one, logo that was basically their logo for the better part of 30, 40 years before the new one came in. That is the logo you guys have on your color rush. But instead of it being that lighter blue, it's the the darker navy blue. Yeah, dude, those are, those are awesome, and I'm sure if I you know I didn't grow up a Broncos fan, so I don't necessarily know all the throwbacks. You know, like me being a Packers fan, and from us playing them, what was that two years ago? Yeah, they wear those those and, the ugliest uniforms in football when they wear those gross ones. But Chris Harris got Aaron Rodgers gamer. 
I think they're the sexiest uniforms in football. Really? <laughs> and that's the thing. This is different. And and so that's that's the whole thing is, you know, I, I know my my old teams, you know, throwbacks and stuff, and and I think they're pretty cool. But like, how would the Raiders do a throwback? Uh, that's just that, that's that, that's the variation. Thing. How would on... they do a throwback? Because all this is insane. <laughs> yeah, it's like a variation on the stripes. That's about it. Yeah, that's pretty much it, man. That that really would be about it. That'd be a really boring throwback. So you know, luckily the jerseys aren't bad at all. Now the the Broncos they their very first year, and I should show you pictures of this, or you should Google it. They wore brown and yellow, almost like University of Wyoming. And so there was in the 60th anniversary of the or I can't remember what what year the anniversary was. The Broncos wore them, and they had vertical striped socks, kind of like. The Wisconsin band wears, right? That vertical red and white or Indiana or Indiana warm-ups, like the candy stripe, but brown and yellow socks, vertical. It was pretty wild uh, and pretty pretty ugly. I think that teams definitely should, you know, do throwback uniform games more often. I think it would be very marketable. You can get more jerseys sold, and, and I just, you know, I just think it's a good idea. I think it would bring – you know, kind of a mix of old and new together, and, and they kind of can have an appreciation for it. All right, as we're slowly making our way through the mailbag, remember, you can send it to us any time of the week. It doesn't just have to be when we call for questions, but make sure you're following on Twitter at ShellShockedPod, and we are going to get the Instagram page going. I, I know that I've been slow to work with our social media team to, to get that going, but uh, l- let's make it through the uh, last little bit here with the mailbag before we run. Actually, one just got sent to me. Uh, Andrew at Big Papa DBU on Twitter asked me on a scale to, of meh to goddamn, how do you feel after a physical game? And I definitely would go goddamn. <laughs> I feel like some shit. And it's never actually the day of the game. It's usually the next day, and then the day after is when you really feel feel run down <laughs> like you know when the when you play the Raiders and you know when they had that big offensive line the last couple of years and you know they're running a bunch of double teams and and doing that you're not going to feel the greatest after the game <laughs> like not at all but it, it's very rarely where you come out of the game you're like huh I feel all right <laughs> you know what I mean like without feeling sore at all like like they say football is a game of a couple car crashes and so and you don't you don't feel the greatest after kind of piggybacking on that if you're 100% right now and you're not a guy that's banged up like a Saquon Barkley or Bradley Chubb or, or Noah fan, if you're 100% today, as the season progresses, how close can you stay to 100% throughout the year barring a, a real injury? Just if you're going through the bumps and bruises of a season, not like your knee last year or, or whatever, but just the wear and tear. If you're 100% before kickoff of game one, where are you in weeks six, eight, 10, 14, you know? You, you kind of stay, I'd say, between 75 and, well, it just depends. Some people, I'll, I'll give it 65 to 85%. You kind of stay in between there because you're always banged up. You're never 100% healthy, even if you are not, even if you're not on the uh, injury report. So it's, it's just all about, you know, trying to weather the storm and, try, and trying to take care of your body after the game, take care of your body during the week. And you know, is you're never go, you're never going to be a hundred percent healthy. But you know, as seventy five percent, I'll take it. I realize you're in a different position than you were early in your career. But how much 
more money are you spending now just on maintenance? Because we hear right how LeBron spends one or two million dollars a year, whatever it is, to to keep himself right. Man, I would say I, I spend a good amount of money on it. I go to yeah. chiropractors, I have stretchers. I have you know, and like I have way more people in my circle like work that work on me than I did from when I first got into the league. Now it's just about maintain and. And really just, you know, stay as loose as possible. You know, the name of the game is availability. Your best ability is availability. And that's the best advice I could give any young player ever. Because you could be this great player, but if you're always heard of, even a couple of years, you'll be out the league. And and that's the thing. is, just, And that's literally, I, always, I live by that saying, the best ability is availability. Yeah, I wasn't actually asking for like a dollar amount, although I guess if you wanted to get, I meant like the the amount of people that are in, involved in, in your maintenance. One final mailbag question as we're doing this, it comes in in real time at some football stuff. And then I got one or two I want to throw at you at the end. But when going against a team with a running back like Saquon Barkley, do you find yourself spending more time strategizing to neutralize running backs like him? Or do you try to give every running back the same amount of time and focus? For me as a D lineman, you know, I barely, barely pay attention to what the running back does. I, I look at his stances and, and stuff like that. But when it comes to his running style, I'm just there to go tackle him. You know, me, I got to worry about the blocks that are in front of me. And 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 that's the thing, unless they're two different type of backs, you know, uh, like how we try to do with Mel and Phil. How one's a straight, like, speed guy. And so there's different things that might run more strength and stuff. And then you might have a power guy where it's more ISOs and power and stuff. But that, that's when you would get into the more of, okay, when this back is in, you got to worry about this. When this back is in, you got to worry about this. But in a, in, a, in a situation, you know, you're talking about Barkley, they pretty much run the same shit for all their running backs. So now you're running, you're worrying about the scheme of what they're running and – you know, it's only so much you can really study for a running back as a D lineman because the only time you really get into him is is like when you're making a tackle. You know, obviously you say you probably you study the quarterback more than you study the you know the running back. But you know, the running back can give away clues just like the you know the uh, quarterbacks do. You know, just I, everyone used to know when Adrian Peterson when he was all in the backfield, right? Like he looked like he was ready to go. It was a run. And if Adrian Peterson was back then, he was just chilling. You knew it was a pass. And you know what I mean? So if he gets in that case, then, yeah, you, you pay attention to what the running back does. But for me, I really more focus on what the old lineman, the block I'm getting, and they'll tell you where the ball will go. And and But the one thing I will say when you do pay attention when it comes to running back is how quick he is to bounce it out, outside. That's really, I think, would be the, you know, the biggest thing you would look at is how heavy is he, like, trying to run it down the middle? Or is he quick to, uh, if he sees somebody in the hole, is he going to bounce outside? But then if you leave your gap, is he going to try to get back in that same gap? And so that's, I would say, the main, you know, focus of, of when, you like, you're focusing on running backs. You know, Saquon likes to bounce it outside. <laughs> you know, like, that that's it. He, they run it in and then he'll bounce it out. And, and and that's what you got to worry about when you're playing playing it back like that. But, you know, there's only so much preparation that goes into this running back. Our job is just, the preparation is more of just make sure you tackle him and get him on the ground. It's funny because coaching freshman football players is obviously way different than the NFL. But you talk about Adrian Peterson, and I certainly have a couple kids that will play wide out. And when it's an obvious run play, 
their shoulders are, are slouched and they're not that fired up. I was like, and I'm yelling at the DBs, hey, it's going to be a run play. Look at how Blake's standing. He he has no interest in in this play. And I'm like, what do you mean, coach? I go, look at your body language. Look at how, I was like, do I think you're about to run around? No, I don't. Is it a run play? Yes. Okay. All right. So you got to sell it the same every time. It's, just, it's funny you say that. You talk about running backs with different styles, and I said two more. I'm going to roll them all in, to, in together. Leonard Fournette, Rojo, now Gio Bernard. That is three different styles. Certainly Leonard Fournette to Gio Bernard, who got added to that Bucks roster. I say that because Bucks and Cowboys are kicking it off Thursday night. Is Thursday night a D-line getting together dinner kind of night? Is Thursday night for you this week? Let's watch football. And, and then just how great is it that the season's back and we're going to have full stadiums certainly to start and, and knock on wood, fingers crossed all year. But what, what's your level of excitement? You know, one to ten. Um, so D line, we usually get together on Fridays um, to go to dinner on Friday. Uh, just because we get more time off during the day, we get out a little earlier. So then you can have that time to go home, hang out with your family, then go and and do the D line thing. You know, the D line dinner. You know, and then when it comes to fans, man, it's just it's it's even in the preseason. You know, having fans back, it just made the biggest difference in the world. It just gives you a whole nother, like, jolt of energy, but then it just kind of creates a whole nother level of intensity. You know, when it's third and three and, and, and you know, you're home and the defense is going and, you know, the crowd is going nuts and and you you feel it in your bones. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you feel that shit in your bones and it's just, it's, it's so much fun. You know, having fans. Now, do I need fans in order to produce? No. But do I want fans there? Yes, it's 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 such an experience, and you know I remember you know I went to you know when I transferred to Illinois State, we have games with two thousand people. Different <laughs> than Wisconsin, what is what you're saying? Different than the Big Ten and Camp Randall, a little different. That, that, yeah, that's why I had to say when I went to Illinois State because you know Wisconsin had that shit rocking twenty four seven, but it, then to go and play in front of the crowds. You know, in Denver and Mile High, and then to have it, and then to not have it last year, it's it's definitely it's much needed, and we can't wait, you know, to have the fans back. Well, so then my next part of that question: Do you like opening the season on the road or at home, or does it make a difference? I remember going to the Black Hole for that final trip for the Broncos to the Raiders a couple of years ago. A place that means a little more to you because that's where you started your career. But do, do you think about it at all, week one, whether it's home in, in the friendly confines of Empower Field at Mile High or, in this case, you're going to be at MetLife in, in Jersey? Uh, MetLife, MetLife in Jersey, away from the smoke and the altitude? Oh, God. I can't wait. I can't wait. And so, honestly, for me, it's uh, when it comes to, you know, like that first game, I, I like having that first, first game at home. It feels natural. Like my first two years when I was here, there was two home games in a row, and it was all and they were both on Monday night. And I just feel like the Broncos are supposed to play Monday night to start the season every year. We you know we we obviously haven't lived up to it, and we we aren't good enough to you know still be in that time slot from you know, from our performance from years past. But you know, I just felt like it was just a natural thing that just you know Broncos prime time Monday night. But if I had to choose, it have definitely have to be the home game, the atmosphere, first game of the season, and it's just mile high rocking like that. It's just it's. It's number one. And then because you're going to MetLife and you're old enough to to remember 9-11, Kareem Jackson was asked about it on the podium, and he said he was you know, 12 or 13. His mom's a teacher. It's going to be really emotional. Obviously, 9-11 is Saturday, and you guys are playing on the 12th. 
but is that something that you think will be talked about or has it even been mentioned or you think it'll be talked about Saturday night in the in the team meeting a little bit like, hey, this there's going to be a little extra emotion in the building, even if it doesn't necessarily affect anything on the field. I remember exactly where I was. I think everyone that was old enough remembers exactly where they were on 9-11. I was in fifth grade and well, I literally had just walked into Miss Kroll's class and it was, she had the TV on, which was really weird. And it, and it was the news. And so, you know, it, it was obviously a big moment, you know, for, for everyone and that, that was here. And uh, we have talked about it and it's going to be, you know, it's just 20 years, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's crazy to think about that was 20 years ago, you know, and, and, you know, it's very, it's a very, you know, somber topic just because of all the tragedy that that has happened but then the one thing that we can all look forward to and that's one thing you know i'm excited about the football game is how we all came together after it happened you know when we all you you saw how the world all you know the u.s all came together after it happened the world came together after it happened and kind of just you know stuck their hand out held held our hand (laughs) you know what i mean and it's just it was such a special moment i just think that having this football game here it's just kind of like a don't forget the times when we were all there for each other because, you know, with the climate of how it, how it is today, you know, with the COVID, people are saying it's fake, science is fake, you know, just back and forth, left versus right, liberal, conservative, nonstop. It's nothing but fighting. But then this memory should bring, you know, this memory should bring it back to a time where we were all scared. We didn't know what was going to happen next our reaction was to come together. And I think, you know, that's something that we need to think about. And that's something we need to hold dearly, you know, hold tight and dearly to, you know, ourselves is, is we are like, when things go wrong, we run to each other. And, and with the climate, the way it is today, you're not, you're not seeing that. And so this is a great reminder of where we should be. Yeah. No, sports can be a great unifier. Football, certainly at the top of the list. Just look at, at the crowds we saw across college football and the level of enthusiasm for all those packed houses, whether it was a Rose Bowl or, or Camp Randall or, or some of those big kickoff games. It was just it was awesome. I'll give you two quick 9-11 anecdotes, I guess. Uh, we'll see if they become full stories. But I lived in New York City on 9-11. I had filed for unemployment on September 10th for my first job out of school. I was working at a golf magazine owned by Rupert Murdoch because we were talking about magazines earlier. And my company, we found out a month earlier, he was getting out of the magazine biz. So I was asleep on 95th and 2nd in my apartment, which is about six miles from the World Trade Center. And I get a call from my dad because, you know, it's my second day of unemployment. And it's Tuesday morning and he's like, hey, you have to turn on the TV. And I lived on the 27th floor in a place called Normandy Court. One of my roommates both worked in finance. One worked in one of the World Trade Center buildings, not the well, not one of the towers, one of the adjacent buildings for Merrill Lynch. And I turned the TV on. He's like, "Yeah, something hit the World Trade Center." And then I'm not lying. I could see when the second plane hit. I watched it live on TV and saw. I could see the cloud of smoke because I was high enough off, high enough up that I could see it. You know, as it shot into the air. And I had two other friends, one who I had grown up with that worked in another adjacent building at a finance company and a friend who lived about eight blocks south, maybe less, who's from Midtown Manhattan. And he was able with his dogs to get to the tip of the island and then make it 
up to his parents in, in Midtown. And, and he said he never even went back because I said, you come back and, you know, get your stuff or whatever months later. And I just remember how crazy that day was. Luckily, my friends all made it safely, you know, either to our house or, or home. And then just how crazy it was in New York after that. Right. I mean, it was crazy everywhere, but it was certainly so somber and, and weird. And obviously, like like the rest of us, certainly something I'll, I'll never remember or never. I'll certainly never forget. And I try to go down to the World Trade Center every time I visit New York. And then, and you should check out that museum uh, if anyone hasn't gone. the The nine eleven museum it's it's heavy, and my wife had to leave. She was crying. She was in college. She was a freshman in college at at Ithaca College in in upstate New York. And as somebody who had grown up just outside the city, visiting her grandparents and and her dad, you know, it obviously it hit her pretty hard. And then tying it to football, and and we'll we'll tie it off here. The Broncos played the Giants the night before. That open mile high was Giants at the Broncos on Monday night. And I don't know if you know this story. I don't know how many people on your team even know this story. Ed McCaffrey broke his leg, and it was one of those breaks that you don't know if the guy's going to come back from. And he was laying on the field, I want to say, for a half hour. His leg broke just below his knee. Both, I think both bones broke, it, or at least one of the bigger leg bones. And his leg was swinging like a swinging gate. And I remember it as clear as day. And then he laid on the on the turf for 30 minutes, and because of that, they then had to resume the game. A bunch of first responders that watch Monday Night Football, watch their Giants, had to stay up a half hour later than they normally would. And Ed doesn't talk about it much or really at all, I think, unless asked about it or, or his family. But Ed's gotten letters from a bunch of first responders that said, the worst day of your life probably saved my life because I would have been in the towers with my brothers. They weren't shirking their responsibility. They had too many, you know, soda pops the night before and just slept in, which is you're not expecting the World Trade Center to get attacked. You're not expecting to worry about anything on a Tuesday at 830 in the morning. But Ed's leg getting, you know, broken so badly, inadvertently saved these guys' lives, which is crazy. And now you got Broncos Giants here on the 20th anniversary. And, and and that's the craziest part is we're all tied together, you know. We're all tied together, and and we got we gotta care about the next person. You, you need to care about your neighbor. They may need it, you know. <laughs> they may need it. Care about your neighbor. Care about the next person, you know. And 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 that's really all that matters is is, is caring about the next individual, caring about a person because we're all human. And and if someone goes, if someone dies, if something happens, somebody lost a son or a daughter, somebody could lost a mom or dad, a cousin, a brother, a sister, you know, that's care care about the next person. You know, it's 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 sad it's gotten to this point where it's like I feel like everyone just hates each other, but you know, we gotta care about each other more and we really gotta, you know, push that agenda of caring for the next person. Well, I know everybody in Broncos country is going to care how you guys play on Sunday at MetLife, a place where the Broncos have won games and, and lost some tough ones, certainly Super Bowl 48 being at the top of the list. But that trip against the Jets where uh, Sam Darnold's lighting it up uh, to Robbie Anderson. But I think it's going to be a, a good start to the season, and, and Broncos country is going to come together, hopefully rallying behind some wins, and then coming here to Shell Shock Podcast every Thursday to – to get your breakdown of, of really what happened in the game and, and dive into a few storylines that maybe won't be touched upon as, as frequently or as obviously in the media. So I, I can't wait. Now things 
count for real. This is where I was most excited when you told me we're going to do this podcast was if we're doing it in the regular season. I know it's going to be something that no one else can give you here or anywhere. And I don't mean just in Denver. I mean, you know, coast to coast in any NFL city. And, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to give you the juicy content, <laughs> you know, that juicy, good content. And, and, you know, just like we did today and just like today and just like every other week, you made it to the end. It's time to give us a, a five-star review, and, and thank you for listening. We love you, and we'll see you next week. Perfect way to end it. I'm going to have to obviously clean that shit up in the middle. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.